Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Dialogue on Divorce. I'm Catherine Miller, the host of this show. I'm a collaborative family lawyer and mediator and the founder of the Miller Law Group uh, based in New Rochelle and in New York City. And I am on a mission to change how people divorce in New York. And I'm here today with Michelle Brody. Michelle is a clinical psychologist uh, and she has and she's also a divorce coach or a couples coach is really what what it is, right? A couples coach who focuses your work, Michelle, on helping couples change the dynamic that is between them and help them arrive in a more productive communication style. And Michelle is also the author of the new book, Stop the Fight, How to Break Free from the 12 Most Common Arguments and Build a Relationship that Lasts, that was recently published. Welcome, Michelle. It's great to have you. Thank you so much for having me. So, Joel, I thought we'd talk today a little bit about I think we talk, we talk about your book a little bit, and I'm curious, because I haven't actually gotten a chance to see the book yet, what the 12 most common arguments are. I could guess on a few of them. I but, you could. Uh, <laughs> the 12 most common arguments that we all have. Exactly. Um, so uh, some of the fights that, that, are, that I talk about in the book are fights about content. So things that we, you know, an actual... About money or about sex or about who does the household responsibilities, difficult relatives. We fight a lot about those things. But in addition, there are some of the fights that are um, not so much about a topic, but more about the feelings that happen between a couple. So th- I have a fight that's called the partner improvement fight when you try to improve your partner and you end up causing a fight or a fight called the you don't care about me fight, which is what underlies a lot of fights, that sense that some way in which your partner is behaving is just so emblematic to you that they don't care, that you end up fighting about whether you care or not. So one partner says, you don't care about me. And the other one says, that's not true. I, I didn't say that. Well, but you did this thing. And therefore, I know you didn't. You don't care about me. And that then starts to go in circles. And the reason I talk about them as the 12 most common fights is because when you work as a couples therapist, and my practice right now is that's all I see is just couples. After a while, you start to see that there are real patterns and we're all having the same kind of fight. So when we fight about money, we're, we're all doing, some parts of it are unique to every couple, but there are some dynamics that underlie those fights that tend to be the same in every couple. So in the book, what I do is I actually draw out in illustrations what these fights look like underneath to help people really see, first of all, the commonality of it, and then second of all, how to really unwind them if you can actually see what's going on. I think that's really interesting because I also see the same kinds of fights and the same kinds of dynamics. Uh, you know, with some, obviously, every family is a snowflake, right? And they yeah. and there are individual minutiae of their lives or details of their lives, right, that are that are different. They live in a different house and they have different children and all that sort of stuff. But the patterns of conflict communication, you know, tend to fall into a series of arrangements, right? Yeah. So, and one thing that I say to my clients all the time is, I have a couple of conflict conversations with my husband, but it could be my mother. I mean, it could, you know, anyone with whom I have a, a close relationship and that I care 
but with my husband, well, he'll say something, I say something, then he says something, and I know that if I say the thing that pops into my head to say, I could literally script out pretty much word for word everything he's going to say and everything I'm going to say for the next 20 or 30 minutes. And I also know that if I say that, we will both walk away from that conversation frustrated and unhappy. So and, true. And, and, and when I say that, you're nodding. Everyone I say that to nods. It doesn't matter if they're a friend, client, right. you know, anyone, any man on the street, woman on the street says, yeah, that is a human condition. But the thing is, and I think I'm guessing that part of what your work is and what your book is about is I don't have to say that thing. True. I mean, I may feel like I really want to and I should say it because I'm right. I am so <laughs> right. Right. That's true. But I have a choice to say something different. That's so true. I mean, if you think about it, it's kind of built in biologically. You know, what we're responding to when we know we could actually start a fight. I mean, I love the way you describe that. It's like, I know I could start a fight with what I say right now. Or I could build into this fight and make it continue. If you think about what are what's going on biologically for us in the same way that any threat to our survival will ignite our fight or flight system, there are certain social threats that universally we are all responding to. If I feel insulted, if I feel criticized or minimized or abandoned or compared to someone else, these are the elemental social threats that we all respond to. And when someone does it to us, up goes the fight or flight system and we get defensive and then we'll say something back to the other party. And inevitably, anything we do when we're in that defensive mode always sounds like a threat to the other person. Yeah. So you go from a defense to a threat to a defense to the threat and that keeps going. And, because and it we, builds over years. It builds over years. And so then you can predict it. I know if you say this, if you make a reference to this particular TV show, I know you're criticizing me. Right. Yes. Like, I, yes. <laughs> that's in mediation all the time. And I used to think so naively, I used to think, I didn't hear them say that. So they didn't mean it. Right? right. And I would say, well, I'm not sure that John meant that when he said that. <laughs> well, that's not true often. Sometimes, you know, I've learned is to ask John if that's what he meant, you know, or Jane, it doesn't really matter, right. you know, and to try to do that. And I'm trying to understand because every couple has their own secret language. Exactly. Right? And so you could say, can you see what a beautiful blue sky we have today? And the other member of the couple can turn to me and say, did you hear that? Can you believe he said that in this room? I right. can't believe it. And I'm, you know, and, you know, then it turns out it's a story about how the windows are clean here. They're not clean at home. There's right. been a complaint about the windows being dirty for years. Why can't you get a window cleaner? And, you know, there you have it. There really is a criticism or there isn't because it's not always that you know, oftentimes people have in my office, and you know, my office is certainly a step or two beyond your office. You know, sure. I'm working with people who really made the decision to divorce for the most part. And they're so dug in and so sensitive and to criticism from the other person. Sometimes it's really it's so painful. So what can you do, Michelle Brody, to help people, you know, try to untangle and unwind those defensive reactions. Now, that is the whole secret to it. If you think about it, every fight is made up of those defensive reactions. And if everyone could do what you said before, which is to choose to not say the defensive thing, but instead choose to say something from the core of what you feel. So instead of saying, you know, in an outraged voice, how could you possibly say that to me? Instead, you're saying, ow, yeah. what you just said really hurt. And that choice is not always available to everyone. 
because if you're so fired up and your biology is just, you know, pushing you to say something, it's very hard to stop that reaction. If you can, it's wonderful. But if you can't, what it takes is more of an understanding of what's happening underneath this process. And a lot of times people say, well, I don't really care what's happening for the other person. I'm hurting and I need to get my part solved. But the way these things intersect, the only way to really solve it is to solve both at the same time. So I'm not going to really, one party's going to say, I'm not going to give in on having sex with you if you're not going to give in on cleaning up the house. And, and then you say, okay, well, how are we going to solve that one? You know, you both have to give simultaneously in order to be able to to move things along. If you're just standing there tapping your foot, waiting for the other person to step forward and give you what you're hoping for, it's not going to change. Yeah. But yes, these things get very entrenched. I want to pick up on that in a minute. But first, I want to remind people that this is Dialogue on Divorce. I'm Catherine Miller. You are listening to me talk today with Michelle Brody, PhD on WVOX 1460 AM. We're here every other Wednesday from 5 to 530. And we're also available as a podcast on my website, www.westchesterfamilylaw.com and on iTunes. Michelle, I am thinking that it's so hard for people, as you were saying, to let go of being right, right, yeah. in order to choose to be happy. Mm. It's hard for me. And I've been working with couples doing this for a long time, and I'm not always able to do it. You know, one time, a long time ago, after my husband and my first husband and I divorced, we were having an argument about something, which we had a lot of, I have to say, in those days. And I decided that I would try to use the skills that I had learned at work to see if I could change the dynamic between us. And I listened to him for about a half an hour and I said, you know, so this is what it's really upsetting to you. And I think it was about my being late to, with the children. You know, it feels like I'm disrespecting you and that, you know, that's hurtful. And your time with the children is just as valuable as my time and your role as a parent is just as important. And I should respect that. And he was like, yes, yes, yes. I got to the end of that. And I said, so do you think I understand your perspective on this problem? And he said, yeah, I thank you do. And I said, would you be interested in hearing my perspective? And he said, not really. <laughs> so then I knew like he was, he wasn't interested in working it. I mean, we were divorced, you know, like I was remarried and he was, you know, engaged to someone else. Like, you know, th this was not in the marriage, you know, but when people have to really both want to be engaged in changing the dynamic for it really to work. It's so true. And sometimes if you know that the only way you can be heard for the other person to know your perspective is to also understand theirs, that's a piece of leverage I sometimes can use when I'm working with couples where I say, like, okay, clearly the way your partner sees you is wrong. You know that. And you want to have an opportunity to correct that impression. But while that's happening, you must also recognize that possibly the way you're seeing your partner is also wrong. And he or she wants an opportunity to correct that impression too. So much of what makes change possible when you're working with a couple it, it, you know, towards a positive direction is being able to do two things at the same time or see that both parties are really right about something. You know, when people get into a fight about money, for example, a very common fight, one person will say, you know, it's really irresponsible to spend in this way. And they're right. And the other person will say, well, it's really not living life to never spend on things that make you happy. And they're right too. Yep. Right. So those kinds of fights get very polarized where one person's only talking about one side of it and the other person's only talking about the other side. And you don't have that joint understanding that in fact, both of those values are important. Both pieces are important. So they're both right. 
But how do you then both hold both values at the same time? You know, there is no real God's eye view here, right? Of these (laughs) situations. What's right, Right. what's wrong. It doesn't matter, right? What matters is how the people feel about them. And and, and in my job, I mean, it is not my job to decide who's right. And I wouldn't want that job because they are both right. And they're also both wrong, you know, like in the same kind of space and at the same time in some odd sort of counterintuitive way. Those things are true about the human condition, and that's what makes conflict so ubiquitous. It's so true. Right? Is that it- yeah, in fact, I was on a jury selection. You know, I was chosen to be a juror, and I realized as I sat there, having done so much work with couples and seeing both sides all the time, I thought, I can't serve on a jury because <laughs> there would be no way for me to say only one side is right. Yeah. You know, because there's pieces of a lot of these things that are too complex to just say only one side is right. So Michelle Brody, what do you do when you work with people to help them take the first steps? You know, we were talking a little bit before we went on the air about when people come in and and it's bad, it's really bad. And they're so engaged and locked in with each other that sometimes there's a way that you can kind of get in there and find a, a way to help them, you know, make some small shifts at first that help them really save their relationship and work. I don't really love that save their relationship language because it, it makes it seems like it was drowning, but move it to a, yeah. a more positive way, place where they can stay together and, and, re, and sort of repartner. Yeah. Well, I think before you can get to deepening your relationship and getting to that real sense of we're a team and we're partners and we want we want to be vulnerable with each other again, first you have to loosen the knot that's caught up in their most volatile fight whatever the fight is about. So we look at that fight, we look at it very closely and look at what are the ways in which each person narrates that fight. And what I pick up as I listen to a couple is what's the hurt feeling that they're experiencing? What's the way in which they react to that hurt feeling in a defensive way? What's the way in which that justified defensive reaction ends up hurting their partner? And then the way the partner does all those same bits, what their main hurt is, what's the way they they act when they feel that hurt and what inadvertently they're threatening their partner. So that we basically draw out the whole cycle. This is why this book is full of illustrations. It's just, I try to draw it out and say, is this what's happening? So that they can both look at it. And then inevitably, when you look at a picture of the entire fight, you have to see both sides. You can start to see, I am unintentionally, with the way I'm trying to solve this problem for myself, I am unintentionally keeping this problem going. And at some point, so that's the first unlock of the knot, which is to see I'm contributing to this in some way. And if I have to first, if I want my partner to recognize what they're contributing, I have to recognize what I'm contributing. And when I can look at that together and then we can understand as a couple what the problem is, boy, look at what we're doing. We don't mean to do this to each other. And it's just getting worse and worse. At that point, they're holding the problem together. And that's the beginning of um, of changing it because then you can say, I can make that choice. Like you were talking about before, I can make a choice to not do the defensive reaction. I can instead tell you from my heart what my pain is because I have a way better chance of getting a sensitive and empathetic response from you if I do it that way. And it's really kind of a retraining of everyone to keep saying, wait, hang on, let's go back to, can you say that again? I'll often say to a couple, can you say what you just said? I understand what you're trying to communicate when you say, you know, you did that jerky thing again. I know what you're trying to communicate, but I want you to make it crystal clear by speaking it from the heart, where instead of saying that, you're saying, I just got hurt by what you said, and I really want it to stop. And I know you do too. You say it 
in a, in that heartfelt way, your partner will join you in that more core kind mm-hmm. of conversation. That's really interesting. I have I have two thoughts in my head, and one is when you try a case and you say something or you start to say something that you realize you hadn't said it well, you can say withdrawn. And it would be so great in life if you could just, you know, and it's, it's withdrawn from the record and you just withdraw it like, oh, you know, never mind. Let me come at this from a different approach. Because sometimes I think we start to say things and it's halfway out of our mouth and we're like, you know, this isn't going to go over well, right? Like in that thing conversation with my husband, I could start to say it and then I, you know, I could withdraw it. Well, that would be really, really That's good. So true. And, but one of the things that I think people get out of if they're in a good couples therapy process, once you establish that language, which is there are two ways to express this, there's the core way and the defensive way. Then when they're halfway into the defensive way, they can raise their own flag and say, yeah, I think I'm doing this out of my defense mode and I'm going to stop now and yeah. try and do it from my core. And then, you know, the partner smiles. They know, yes, I see what you're trying to do. You're trying to do it differently. So there could be a little version of that withdrawn. But I think just the effort of stopping. I mean, if I were the observer of that and, you know, involved in the couple and I saw my partner stop in the middle of Of a sentence sentence (laughs) and say, you know, I don't want to come across that way. That would mean more to me probably than anything else he said after that moment. Right. Unless he grewed it up. You know, like it just said it different, more defensively or something. Right. Like no, that. I think that's really true. Just that intention yes, to say it better. Yes, the intention right? shows the love and the care yes, and does. that that in and of itself, I think, is is so missing from the defensive yeah. communication, which is so focused on what we call in my field attribution error, which is to say that we judge ourselves based on our own intentions and we judge other people based on the impact of their actions upon us. So. If I hurt you, you know, that's too bad. I really didn't mean to, but I was really trying to, you know, fill in the blank. But you hurt me, you must have meant to. Right. Right. What's so interesting about that is I often talk to couples about intention and impact. When you have a misunderstanding that happens between you where I did something and you were hurt by it, but I didn't mean to, right? If that kind of incident happens, typically when people try to sit down and talk about it, the person who inadvertently insulted the other usually leads with, but my intention was good. Right. Right. That's exactly right. (laughs) And the person who is on the receiving end of the bad impact will say, but you had bad impact on me. Right. Or you should have known. You should have known. Right. (laughs) So then they go back and forth. And so what I often say to couples is, and I I did this in the the trailer for the book has, has demonstrates this in a kind of cartoon way. When you instead turn it around and you say, if I'm the one who made the misstep, Instead of focusing so much on my good intentions, I focus on, I know I had bad impact on you. Or if you, as the recipient of the bad impact, instead of going on and on about the bad impact, instead talks to me about, you know what, I know you didn't mean this. The way that just kind of unlocks the fight very quickly because both of us feel understood. You're hearing, you know, instead of me having to rally and say, you had bad impact on me, you're saying it. Or instead of me having to say, you know, "I, I didn't mean to hurt you, you're saying it. And that is so relieving. Yeah. So I think it's hard. I think it's hard, though, to say in in the second piece to say, I know you didn't mean it. Because if you really knew that they didn't mean it, then your feelings might not be hurt, right? That's true. And I mean, unless it was just because they're so self-centered or something like that, right? Uh, But I think maybe to ask. Right. You know, like, did you mean to hurt me? What did you mean by that statement? Right. Or maybe you didn't mean it. Right. Exactly. Is it maybe you didn't mean it? Right. 
Or I'm hoping it is. Yeah. Yeah. So this is Dialogue on Divorce. I'm talking today with Michelle Brody, PhD, about her new book, Stop the Fight, and about working with couples on Dialogue on Divorce. We're here every other Wednesday from 5 to 5.30 on 1460 AM WVOX and WVOX.com. Also, as a podcast on my website, www.westchesterfamilylaw.com. And on iTunes. And Michelle, why don't you tell people how they can get a hold of your book, Stop the Fight, and how they can get a hold of you since you're local to our area? Yeah. So you can get the book on any online retailer and in bookstores. And you can go to my website, which is www.stopthefight.com. And you can find out more about the book. There's also a trailer for the book that I mentioned before, which is just look it up under Stop the Fight trailer on YouTube. And I'm located in White Plains, and you can find me at coachingforcouplesny.com. That's the website for my practice. And a phone number there? Phone number is 914-707-0729. Thank you. What would you think, Michelle Brody, would be, let's say there's a couple listening to this or one person listening, what's the first step in sort of trying to approach their relationship different? If they you know, get home for dinner tonight, is there something you could offer as a opener that wouldn't feel too risky? Meaning what they might say to their partner? Well, to Yeah, well, no, but they, let's say they go home and it's, this, you know, it's the same old, same old, right? And it starts to feel unpleasant or difficult or conflictual. Is there something that they could do differently or some to try it out, you know, trying something different? Yeah. So the way I think about that is the defensive stuff has started to happen between them and their partner in that moment. And it's just that awful. Well, let me just stop for a minute. Yeah. Can you like just describe briefly what defense, what what do you mean by defensive? So the reaction that you have when you feel hurt. So it might be that you are, you're going to yell or you're going to withdraw or you're going to criticize or nag or ignore All those behaviors that we do right after we get hurt, it's like, you just hurt me, I'm going to ignore you, either by going into my phone or by, you know, talking to the kids instead of to you, or you just hurt me, I'm going to yell at you, or I'm going to criticize you. That's what I would call the defensive Mm -hmm. behavior. So those things start to happen. That's Those are the characters of a fight. Sometimes it's one person who's withdrawing and the other person who's yelling. And so there you are, you're sitting there on your couch withdrawn because your partner's yelling at you and you're thinking, how do I change this? Or the vice versa. Mm-hmm. What I would say is you want to communicate that together this feels like a joint problem. And you know, typically when we come at a problem, we always start with, and this never works, we start with, you're doing this to me. It's a linear view of the problem. You're doing this to me. I'm the victim. You're hurting me in some way. If you can come at it by saying to your partner, we're stuck in something right now. This doesn't feel good to either of us. Kind of like an observing way. Yeah, kind of in an observing way and saying, I really want to change it. And I bet you do too. It's like recruiting the other person to be in it with you so that because what it does is it takes blame off the table right away because the instinct is when the fight's happening, Everybody thinks it's the other person's fault. So if you can get, you can step back and get the wherewithal to say, you know what? It's not just your fault. It's mine too. We're stuck in this together. This doesn't feel good. Do we agree that it doesn't feel good? And if we, once we agree on it, we can say, let's try to do it differently. Let's together try to do it differently as opposed to here's what you need to do to do, to make things better. Because it's hard. You can't even by yourself. If you decide today I'm going home and I will not fight with my partner, I will not fight. 
sometimes you can go in and you can be as generous and kind and non-confrontational and whatever else you're being. If your partner doesn't realize that you're doing that, that this is a an active fight-stopping action, they're just going to think it's business as usual and assume malintent underneath it. Right, so you, you're doing something sneaky and tricky. Exactly. You want to highlight to your partner that you're trying to do something different so that they can hear it in a new way, which is what opens up the possibility for change. Yeah. And that you see a problem and you're asking them to see the problem with you right. together. And engage in it with you. Yeah. that's. I think that's really, really interesting and really useful. And and sometimes it may take a few tries, Absolutely. I would imagine, yeah. uh, in order for people to, you know, not to be suspicious, because if they're really locked in it, and it's really long standing, yeah. uh, it takes, uh, you know, more than one little statement to to change something. That's for sure. So as we get to the end of our time together, Michelle, uh, it's Stop the Fight, stopthefight.com, right? Mm-hmm. Where they can get hold of the book, on uh, the 12 most common arguments and maybe what people can do about them. And tell us one more time how people can reach you here in Westchester. So you can reach me at uh, 914-707-0729. Or you can take a look at my website, um, stopthefight.com or... Uh, coachingforcouplesny.com. Thank you very much, Michelle. This is Catherine Miller. Good night.